this morning, we're going to kind of go a little deeper into the Word of God, and, and the, the scriptures that we're going to be going through today are going to be challenging for many of us, myself included, uh, in preparing for this teaching. Um, but as you guys know here, the last few months, we've been following the life of Jesus and spending time really diving into every word that's written in the book of Matthew. And as promised, we finished chapter 10. We told you guys we were going to get through chapter 10. We did it, okay? But now we're in chapter 11. And uh, the first 10 chapters of Matthew, they're revealing to us, the reader, that Jesus is, in fact, the promised Messiah. He is who he says he is. But as we turn into chapter 11, we're now reading and learning that Jesus is not only the promised Messiah, he's not only the one who is ready to save and willing to meet us where we are, the one who will eventually die on a cross and raise again, but we're seeing this morning that Jesus is also the authoritative judge. So let's read our, our passage uh, for this morning, which is found in Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 through 24. And it reads as follows. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Cherosian. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Copernicum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we need you this morning. Lord, your word is challenging, and yes, Lord, you love us. But Jesus, you're challenging us today to come to you with a repentant heart and accept your teachings and follow you deeper. So, Lord, I pray as this church body comes together as a family, Lord, we would walk where you lead us that our hearts would be open, Lord, to coming to you, knowing that there's repentance and freedom found in you. So, Lord, we trust you today, and we pray that you meet us and challenge us. In your name we pray. Amen. How are we feeling about that scripture, guys? Huh? I saw Josh lift his eyes up a little bit. It was like, whoa, there it is. Right? So some of you might be thinking, uh, Pastor Michael, that's pretty harsh. Well, I didn't say it. Those are Jesus' words, right? We've seen Jesus reach the outsiders by bringing in people like Matthew, tax collector, to be one of his disciples. And we've also seen Jesus heal a bunch of people. And Michael, if you've read your Bible, we know that God is love. Yes, you're 100% correct. So you mean to tell me that because people are rejecting Jesus, he just gives up on them? That'd be really poor hermeneutics on this passage. Is Jesus only nice when we accept him? And when we don't, we get banished? Tim Mackey puts it best. He says, it is very important for Jesus to speak to us in the 21st century, but not at the expense of what he was telling his contemporaries in the first century. Okay, you guys with me so far? You tracking with me? No one answered, so do I need to read that again? <laughs> We're there. We cannot... It is very important for Jesus to speak to us in the 21st century today, but not at the expense of what he was telling the contemporaries, the people he was speaking to in the first century. So 
to the first century people, Jesus in this moment is operating as a prophet. What a coincidence. The last couple of weeks, Pastor Ron and I have been talking about prophets, haven't we? It's almost like we pray together and figure out where the Lord is teaching us. Isn't that kind of cool? That's a fun, fun opportunity. But Jesus in this passage is operating as a prophet. And the people who he's speaking to know what a prophet is. Now, if we remember from a couple of weeks ago, I shared that prophets were Israelites who had a radical encounter with God and were then commissioned to go and speak on God's behalf. Well, in Jesus' case, he is the living embodiment of God. He is the Word made flesh, and he is the Word. So could we all agree that Jesus has this base covered, right? He has absolutely spent time with the king because he is the king. But next, the prophets would work in three steps. The prophets would first come to a nation and let its people know the failures and their role in breaking the covenant. Remember we talked about that? Jesus has been doing this throughout the land. And then there would be a call to repentance, an opportunity to make right where the ship has gone south. And Jesus continually says throughout his word, come and follow me. He's offering a message of hope. But lastly, if the people did not repent, they explain the consequences of what was to come. That is what Jesus is doing here. He's explaining to those who have encountered Jesus, who have witnessed his miracles and are now far from him, that there are consequences for your actions, that Jesus is, in fact, and will condemn the unrepentant. And that's not warm and fuzzy, is it? But we have a saying in the Butasi home, and it's, if you know better, you should do better. And when we encounter the word, when we encounter Christ in all of his reality, we're responsible now. David Platt writes as follows, People had seen the Messiah and had been amazed by him. Some had even admired him. However, they did not turn from their sin in response to his summons. Repent, Matthew chapter 4, 17, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Tyre and Sidon were Gentile cities on the Mediterranean Sea known for their godless idolatry and immorality. And God had previously destroyed those cities in Ezekiel chapter 28. Yet, in verse 21, Jesus says that if he had done in Tyre and Sidon the miracles that he had done in Cherosian and Bethsaida, those wicked cities would have repented in grief and sorrow over their sin, which is what it means to repent in sackcloth and ashes. These cities were destroyed. There was a warning given to them, turn from your ways. So there was a lot of locations mentioned in these couple of scriptures. So what's significant about these three locations? We're not going to talk about Tyre and Sidon. What's significant about the other three that Jesus is speaking to, that he gives these woes to? Well, Cherezian, Bethsaida, and Copernicum is believed that Jesus spent roughly 50 to 60% of his teaching time with these locations. Imagine that level of investment. Imagine putting all that time and effort and energy into something. And then, no thanks, we don't want it. This frustration that Jesus would experience. In Tarosian was about 25 acres large, held about 500 people who lived there, but was a location that Jesus often shared his word. Bethsaida is the location of the healing of the blind man that we find in Mark chapter 8. It's also the feeding of the 5,000 found in Luke chapter 9. 
and Matthew chapter 14. It's also the place that Peter, Andrew, and Philip came to follow Jesus and become his disciples. Three of the 12 from one city, completely rejecting what God has. Copernicum is the home of Jesus' chosen disciples, James, John, and Matthew. uh, Six of the 12 disciples are found in these three towns. And they're completely rejecting the teaching that Jesus has. It was also the location of the healing of the centurion's servant found in Luke 7 and the healing of the paralytic found in Mark chapter 2. It is the city where Jesus did more miracles than any other place during his earthly ministry, the place where he gave sight to the blind, healed the demon-possessed men and paralytics, and even brought the dead back to life. And their people did nothing in response to him. And how many times, church, today do we reach out and say, if God would only do this, then I'll follow. If God would only help me do this, if he'd only pay this bill, if he'd only do this thing, I'll follow him. It's pretty clear throughout Scripture that God is not a genie. Did you hear what I just said? God is not a genie. God desperately wants to walk through our life circumstances with us. Most of the things we go through are self-inflicted wounds, aren't they? We complain about all these troubles and all these things. I hear people complain, oh, I'm under a lot of pressure at work. Did you show up on time? Well, I haven't done that for six weeks. Well, maybe if you showed up on time, you wouldn't have pressure at work, right? So there's self-inflicted wounds, but despite those, Jesus still wants to walk through those circumstances with us. In these three cities where he devoted the most of his time, they rejected him. Clearly, The people in these three cities were not from Missouri. Because if they were, we live in the show-me state. And if Jesus was doing these things, people in Missouri would be like, yeah, that's cool, we're down. Yeah, yeah, we're going to go ahead and follow that. They might be New Yorkers, because New Yorkers a lot of the time are like, what have you done for me lately? Right? And that's not like the best attitude to have towards life, I can promise you that. The Lord had to break that in me (laughs) over years. But in, in, in this moment, just imagine the frustration that Jesus must feel When people come to him heavily burdened, okay, put yourself in those shoes. We come to Jesus heavy burdened. We're frustrated. We are desperate for a miracle. And Jesus looked at these men and women and knew that he wanted to make them into a royal priesthood, that the healing was there, that the restoration of the covenant was at his fingertips. And it was specifically designed for these people, and still they rejected him. Knowing that, when Jesus shows up, he takes the weight of their burdens off of their neck. But at some point, we as people go back and pick those weights back up and put them back on. When we do this, we are living out Proverbs 26.11. As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Jesus' words here are being rejected. Everything that they're asking for, heal my child. Do this, do that. And he does all of it, meets every one of their needs. Then they just go about their business. Each of us, church, when we encounter Jesus, we are faced with a moment. A moment when we are face to face with the King of Kings. And this time could be at an altar. And I want to encourage you guys that we have that here at the church, right? I know sometimes at churches they're in the front, but for us, we don't really have the space up here because you'll go deaf if you're up here when you're getting prayed for. But we have these moments in the back. And oftentimes I ask, who's going through something? And like everybody raises their hand. 
but then nobody prays. So guys, we want to pray with you. We want to lift those burdens with you together. Jesus wants to carry them with you. We, he wants to change our hearts. And he meets us face to face, where it be at an altar or a moment of conviction inside of a service. Or maybe it's the Lord waking you up in the middle of the night. You guys have heard Pastor Ron's testimony many times. But a moment, nonetheless, where Jesus comes face to face with us and the ball is now in our court. We know better. What are we going to do with it? And when faced with this, we need to make a decision on whether or not we want to accept this new way of life. I've seen many students in my previous ministry find miraculous miracles and favor with judges and parole officers, charges dropped, absolute miracles, okay? There was a young man that had a bunch of charges, came into our program, and this kid was buck wild, crazy, okay? And we just started praying for him because I was trying to get him back to jail because this dude was bananas, all right? B-A-N-A-N-A-S, he was bananas, okay? And we just started praying, and we had a service one night. And I'm literally calling places and calling parole officers going, oh, we, dude, this kid is nuts, man. I can't work with this kid. And that night, somebody shared the gospel, and that kid got up, walked up for prayer. I watched this happen. No one laid a finger on that kid. And he fell over for the power of the Holy Spirit. And he got up and goes, what the bleep was that? And I just gave him a hug. I said, I love you so much. You're like the most authentic human being on the planet. And from that moment on, he started serving the Lord. And to this day, he has not gone back to his wicked ways. He has not returned to his vomit. In fact, he's married now, living in Kansas City and serving Jesus. There was a moment. Yeah, clap for that, man. Come on. That's who Jesus is. So I've seen this opportunity for these miracles. We've experienced it. And when, when these folks are given this opportunity, they need to do something with it. It's a moment where the slate is clean. The healing has come. The forgiveness is there. But what are you going to do with it now? Jesus to these towns and the people mentioned in this passage have been offered the same opportunity, a new way to enter into a a covenant, to be the people of God and walk in communion with the King of Kings. But after opening his hands to these people, many continue to reject Jesus' way of life. And I can only say I understand this feeling just a little bit. As I've seen many miracles in the previous ministry that I was in, I wish I could say that 100% of the time these young men took those opportunities and those moments seriously. But my heart breaks at the six funerals I've been to from overdoses. Several who have had every opportunity, but went away from their life unchanged and now sit in jail. Your heart breaks because we know that we can lead many to water, but you can't make them drink. Only Jesus can do that change. And Jesus is feeling this. He's pouring out everything he has to these people, and they're rejecting him. But so much deeper than the feelings that I ever had towards the young men that I got to work with. I only offered a way to the King of Kings. Jesus is the King of Kings. And he, he must be feeling deep emotion and compassion and grief as he knows what is to come if these towns don't repent. A few years ago, actually it's not a few years ago, time flies in case you don't know that. My daughter turned nine on Friday and she looked at my wife and I, and she said, I'm halfway to 18. I was like, you shut your mouth. 
This is no, you stop it. Like, you get in that room and get younger. I don't know how you figure that out, but we need some kind of time machine, okay? You blink and the kids are getting older. Anybody who's a parent, amen to that. It's unbelievable, man. It's unbelievable. Um, but when I was younger, and it wasn't a few years ago, <laughs> it was like 25 years ago. <laughs> it feels like yesterday. I was in a ministry that was called Royal Rangers. Anybody know what Royal Rangers was, right? And I was in that. And I remember uh, I was in the group that I was in. We would get to the church. It was like Wednesday nights or Friday nights. I can't remember what it was. And we would do kind of a gathering in the beginning where everybody would be together. And then you'd break up into your classrooms and there would be teachings. And some of it was like outdoor stuff where we'd like build fires or, you know, things like that. And then there'd be spiritual teaching as well. And it was all designed to deepen our walk with the Lord. It was really a beautiful thing. And my father at this time was running my group. He was like the leader of the group that I was in. And we had what were called patrol guides. So it was a way that we broke up the group. So we had maybe 15 to 20 people that were in that group, and then that kind of makes them a little more manageable. So the patrol guides had a little bit more, um, uh, what would the right word be? It's not really authority. They had more responsibility to kind of make sure the night flowed the way it was supposed to flow. So there were two patrols, myself and a good friend of mine, Jacob, and my father called both of us up at the beginning of the night. And in his hands was a weight, a five-pound weight, and a piece of twine wrapped around it. And he put one on my neck, and he put one on Jacob's neck. And he said, I want you guys to wear these the whole night. And you can wear it completely by yourself, or you could figure out another way to carry that weight, and you could spread it out with your team. Okay, sounds good. Now, the way the Lord works, it always works out the way it's supposed to, doesn't it? So I chose to wear it the whole night. Jacob did not. <laughs> Jacob shared it with everybody. So what do we have? From a scientific standpoint, we have two outcomes, and that's what we want. And when we got done, my, at the end of the night, when we're getting ready for the time of devotion, my father said, okay, guys, let's take off the weights. And, man, I had this big sigh of relief come out. Oh, this feels good. My mom was so mad because I had this red mark around my neck for like three days. Like, how would you do that? Why would you do that? My dad's like, there's a lesson here. you got to trust the, trust the process. And he asked me, he goes, Michael, how do you feel? I said, Dad, I feel miserable. This is awful. He goes, okay. Jacob, how do you feel? He's like, I feel great. <laughs> Why do you feel great, Jacob? Because he shared the weight. He didn't carry it by himself. You guys tracking with me? My father then challenged us that in leadership, we can't walk alone. Why do you think there's two of us here? Why do you think there's always been more than one leading our fellowship, is because we get yoked together. We need to spread out the weight, and when we do, we become stronger. Little did my father know that almost 30 years later, that moment stuck with me and is a shining example of a foundational biblical principle that Jesus leaves with us today, that he wants to walk with us and help carry that weight, and that's what he's offering to these towns. In church, as I was sitting in my office on Monday and I was prepping for this, this teaching, I just started praying for the church and, and the people in it, our body specifically. And I was thinking about all those who are getting married and starting life together. And there's a lot this, this summer that are getting married, so kudos to all of you. But I was also thinking about and praying for all those who have been divorced and have struggled. Those who have had hard times with their kids or lost family members. I thought of those who have experienced large transitions or are about to make a large transition. Those who have lost their jobs or even found new ones. Some who have had medical procedures this last year. It seems to be a lot in our church body. And the men and women that are dealing with addiction 
depression, and loneliness. And as I was praying through this and thinking through it, I just couldn't help but think, what if each of us were there when Jesus walked the earth? What if the earthly embodiment of Jesus walked right up to us and that thing that we needed, he provided? He provided the healing. He provided the hope. He provided the freedom, the joy, and the comfort. And when these stresses are lifted from our shoulders, in a week or two, we simply go back to the way that life was before Jesus. Would we take the miracle like some kind of transaction at the store and walk away with a life unchanged? That's what's happening to the men and women in these cities. Church, it seems like in hard times there are two responses we have to our walk with Jesus. We either dig in deeper with the Lord or we become more distant. And the latter is a bad decision, I can promise you that. Why is it, church, that in desperate times or moments of transition, we quickly run to the Lord, but in times between our stresses, we fail to spend time with the Father or reject his teaching altogether? I can promise you that in my time in ministry, when things were tough, my prayer time ramped up and was through the roof. And when things were flowing, it slowed down. And that's not right. Our walk with the Lord cannot be present because of our career or our calling. I can't spend time with the Lord simply because I have to preach on Sunday. Daniel doesn't have to spend time with the Lord simply because he leads worship. Our elders don't need to spend time with the Lord simply because they have a responsibility to the church. Are you hearing me, church? We have a responsibility that we know who the King of Kings is. Engage in him. Go deeper with him. That's what he wants to do. He's saying in those moments where things aren't crazy, I want to spend time with you there too. I want to know about your day. I want to know about the stresses. I want to carry that grief with you when you're having a hard time. It needs to be present because Jesus is the bringer of life. Amen. And here is the thing about Jesus. When we walk away from him, He's a good father and patiently awaits our return and communion with him. But we can't take that for granted, church. Our deepening for our walk with the Lord and the relationship that he wants with us, it's built in these in-between times. It's built when we invite him into every moment and allow him to walk through every life circumstance with us. And the message Jesus is sharing is a warning and a woe to the unrepentant towns. He's saying, I know what's coming. You've seen it. What are you going to do about it? It's a message that Jesus is the authoritative judge and that Jesus will, in fact, condemn the unrepentant. In church, tell me if this sounds relevant to you. This message rings true today. All three of the towns that Jesus talks about, they had opportunities to repent. They didn't. All three of those locations are rubble today. They know where they are. Nothing's ever been built on them after that. All three of those locations are rubble. And we see this, church, in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. And guys, if you've ever read the book of Romans, this first passage, it's a heavy hit. And I'm going to jump into it. We're going to read through this. But when people wonder why the world is so rough and so crazy and all over the place, it's because the Lord shows us clearly that when we know him and we choose to walk away from him, he's going to give us over to the desires of our flesh. So follow me here, church. 
Romans 1, 18 through 32, verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godless and wickedness of people who surpass the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been seen clearly being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. We can't look at the Lord and go, I didn't know. Because the Lord is telling us in this passage, you're without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. You know what that looks like today? That looks like exalting and putting up political figures or social influencers that they are the change in this world and they are not. The only thing you want to see change in the world? Get on our knees and let's start praying for this world. Let's intercede. Nothing's going to break unless the Holy Spirit breaks it. I've seen addictions happen in, in men and women where the Holy Spirit broke the yoke, and he's the only one that could. That's real, church. So if we have to stop focusing on these people who we think are people who are going to create policies to make our life better, and we need to start interceding that we have a heart change, that we accept the teachings of Jesus and say, I trust you. Therefore, verse 24 God gave them over, first time we hear this, and there'll be three times this is said, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, for a lie. And that's what's so crazy about the devil. He's going to get you thinking that that lie is the truth. That's crazy. For a lie, and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. But he's not done. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over twice now to their shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women who were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with one another and received in themselves a due penalty for their er error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God, third time, gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of evil, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. It's 2022, and that is still happening. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding of fidelity, no love, no mercy. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Sound familiar? Look around, church. That is the world today, is it not? It's clear in God's word that the Lord will turn us over to our desires. But church... This is not only a warning to the world, but it's one to us of an unrepentant heart. 
It's everything that we're seeing today. We're watching, I've seen this, okay? My heart was very troubled when I saw this. Watching prayers from political leaders that are praying to Rama, God's known by many other names and many other faiths, and the monotheistic God of the Bible, all in one prayer. That's a dumb idea. You want to pray to them? Go do it. Leave the big man upstairs out of that prayer. Because I've read the Ten Commandments. You will have no other what before who? Amen. God is about three things. I will say this often in this church. God is about his kingdom. And every person in here gets to experience that. God is about his power. And every person here can experience that. We read that in the book of Acts. But God is about his glory. And we don't get to be a part of that. That's his alone. Sorry, I'm getting fired up. So we are seeing nations and even believers know that God exists. They say with their mouths that they trust him, but they put more hope in the political figures around the world. We see faiths twisting scriptures and making God into who we want him to be as opposed to who he is. Church, you can't take the words that I say for granted. Go to your Bibles and spend time and read up on it. Believers experiencing the power of God and then knowingly walking away from his promises. Knowing these things, it is easy for us as believers to get frustrated with the world around us and condemn it. We know the truth, yet we allow sin to live. But even though Jesus gives this rebuke to these towns, even though he warns the people of what will happen if they reject his teaching, He doesn't leave it there. And church, this is where we need to take note. Because I think a lot of times we like to point fingers at people and say, well, they're sinning. They don't know the Lord. And if we're spending more time doing that than we are interceding for them, we're completely wrong. Richard Foster wrote one of my favorite books, Celebration of Discipline. And in it, he talks about intercession. And one of the moments he speaks about intercession is that there are things that break in the spiritual through intercession that don't break in any other way. In church, if we, really, if we love this community, if we want to see the lost come to Jesus, then we need to pray for it. We need to offer that hope to say, hey, we love you, but this is who Jesus is. Come to him. Repent and follow him. We need to pay attention to how Jesus still has compassion towards his people. After Jesus is rebuking these towns, Jesus continues being who he is in the book of Matthew and provides hope despite the circumstance just four verses later. In verse 28 through 30, Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Even though he's rebuked these people, he's saying, Come to me, take my yoke upon you, And learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Isn't that amazing, church? And worship team, if you could, start coming up. Jesus shares these words simply because he still loves them. Despite the rebuke, despite him saying, I know what's coming, turn from your ways and follow me. I know all those things that you want, you're doing them, but you ain't happy, and you know you ain't. I told that to every young man, every person I've ever met dealing with addiction, you ain't happy. Why do you keep doing it? Trust in the Lord. And Jesus is offering this opportunity because he loves them. And a yoke 
is an interesting thing because it's a wooden beam normally used between a pair, two. A pair of oxen or other animals to enable them to pull a load when working in pairs. It's easier when you're working as a team. Jesus is saying the yoke is easy. And that load that's being pulled, according to Jesus, with him, it's light, church. And there's a promise that he'll be there with us. Church, the towns that we read about, that Jesus reveals himself to, the most they reject him. Yet, Jesus still offers hope. Isn't that amazing? The towns where Jesus spent most of his ministry, they're ignoring him. Yet, he still offers freedom. The people who have seen with their eyes and heard with their ears have not taken seriously who Jesus is, yet he offers salvation still. So what do we do with this church? Do we let the truth fall from our lips and walk away from it, unchanged? Do we allow the miracle that happened in Angelia's life to just be a moment we simply remember? Or do we let it continue to build our faith and walk away changed into something new? knowing that God hears our prayers and wants to walk through things with us? Do we look at the world and say it's lost, so who cares? Or do we have compassion on it and let that drive us to intercede for them even more? Remember when our brother Samson said at Christmas, when you encounter Christ, you can't walk in the same direction. You walk in a new direction. So as we close, church, let's think about this. And I want to challenge you guys to take this time because we know that we're all carrying burdens. In the first service, we had a lot of people come back and we got to pray with. It was awesome. But if you're carrying those burdens or need to repent, church, we're here. And there's not judgment. There's not condemnation. There's a brotherhood and a sisterhood that loves you enough to say, we want to walk through it with you too, with Jesus leading the way. So where do you stand today with the Lord? Where are you at with him? Do you trust him? Are you just kind of messing around and dabbling in the faith? It's not a time to be lukewarm. It's time to be in. Jesus is calling you to come to him. Church, are we being transformed or entertained by the power of Christ? I want you to hear that. We have these new lights, whoop-de-doo. That's not what brings Jesus into here. When we engage and create that environment where the Lord can meet us, he shows up. So are we being transformed or are we simply being entertained? And lastly, are we judging the sins of this world or are we interceding for it? And that's important, church. Are we judging or are we interceding, knowing that we can't make the change? Only Jesus can. Let's take this time as the worship team is playing to go after the Lord and seek him and hear his voice. Repent those things that are heavy on our heart. And let's start learning to trust him more. Lord, we love you. Jesus, we thank you for all that you're doing, Lord. We can't do this life without you. And Lord, for myself, I repent of all my stupidity, of all the things that I let into my life, Lord, that keeps me away from you. Lord, grow me in this church, Pastor Ron, all the leadership, our families. Lord, draw us all together with cords that can't be broken, Lord, with you right in the middle of it. Lord, we're sorry for the times we point our fingers at the world, knowing that that was us, and we found hope and freedom. Encounter us today, Lord. We trust you, Jesus. We ask these things in your name.